This is Ramsey Radio, the farming and farm machinery podcast from Ramsey Brothers, partnering farmers since 1950. Hello and welcome to Ramsey Radio, the farming industry podcast brought to you by Ramsey Brothers. Thanks for joining us for another episode. I'm your host, Tim Glover, and joining me at the microphone today is our good friend, Joe Anderson from Agri-Legal SA. Joe, great to have you back. Uh, We had a fantastic uh, response to our first podcast that we did with you, and at the time we talked about getting you back, and uh, here you are, mate, so fantastic to uh, have you on the show. Thanks, Tim. Always a pleasure. Mate, plenty going on as usual, Uh, and today we're going to tackle a topic that may not seem like a central part of running a farm, but given how many farms are also a family business, it is essential knowledge. And that's the somewhat uncomfortable subject of dealing with wills and deceased estates. Joe, do you want to start by outlining why is this so important? Look, there's two main reasons why it's important. It's One is to make sure that your assets end up where you, you want them to. Uh, and secondly, so it makes the process easier for, for your loved ones. So let's take the ball by the horns. Let's get straight into it. Is there actually any point in having a will if people can contest them anyway? Yeah, it's a really good question and one that I get asked fairly regularly. Uh, and my response is always absolutely. The impression out there about how easy it is to, to contest a will and the chances of successfully contesting a will is probably a bit misguided. There's only a very um, small percentage of people who can contest a will. So it can only be your children your grandchildren in very limited circumstances and your spouse uh, and anyone who who has been financially dependent on you for a, for a, for a significant period of time and, and at the time of your death. So that really limits it down to, to those who can contest. So, you know, for instance, siblings can't contest a will uh, unless they were looked after you, for, you know, in a financial way. Um, you know, cousins or, or anyone outside of the family can't really, well, they can't contest the will unless they were financially supported by you at the time of your death. So it's, it's actually quite difficult. So what happens if you actually die without a will? Yeah, it's another good question, Tim. Uh, the, the usual response from people is that they think the government gets it. And to be honest, I'm happy for that to be the, uh, the perception out there because it quite often is the reason why people come in and see me and get their will done in the first place. What actually happens is that there's legislation that, that deals with it uh, and it has a hierarchy of people who can who will receive your estate if you die without a will. And so there's two parts. They're dying without a will or dying without a valid will. So if you made a will when you were unable to – when you didn't have the capacity to make a will, for instance, then the will isn't valid and, and it won't take effect anyway. So the hierarchy is that your spouse, if you have a spouse, gets the first $100,000 and then the balance of your estate is split between your spouse and any of your children. If you don't have any children, then your spouse gets everything. If you don't have a spouse but you've got children, then the children receive it. If you don't have a spouse or children, then your parents receive it. If you don't have parents either, then your siblings receive it. And if you've got no siblings left, then your nieces and nephews receive it. And after all of that, if there's no one left, then it does go to the government. Okay. Okay. Um, there's obviously significant time delays that uh, fall into play there, or is that just an urban myth? No, that's not an urban myth. It is It is more difficult to administer an estate when there's no will because you have to find a person to be an administrator. Uh, it's almost always a longer process, a more complicated process, and a more expensive process. And I always say to people, I'd rather you be organised and pay me a little bit of money up front and save thousands of dollars down the track and not have to go through all of the stress of, of, of dealing with a, 
with an estate when there's no will in place. So, yeah, there, there definitely is, is is issues with delay and cost. And probably the third biggest issue is that in some circumstances, suddenly you've got your kids who might be two and three years old, four years old, suddenly owning half, almost half your assets. Um, and that's problematic because what happens then is that the, the public trustee takes over control of, of those assets and manages manages those assets on behalf of the kids. Um, and that can be actually incredibly not only disruptive but also financially um, challenging for who, who you leave behind. So probably that reason alone is a good enough reason to make sure you've got a will in place, to be honest. Absolutely. And on that point, let's say your will appoints me as your executor uh, and then you die. God forbid, obviously. Uh, but what do I have to do? What are my responsibilities as the executor? The executor has a few different roles. So it's, it's what's called a fiduciary role, which means you've got the responsibility to act in the best interests of the beneficiaries of the will. Um, there's no issue with a beneficiary also being the executor. And in, and in many cases, that's that's sensible. So you everything you do then has to be in the best interests of the will uh, of the beneficiaries and, and of the estate. Now, the, the role is quite broad. Uh, it, from you know the initial stages of of dealing with the funeral um, parlour, all of those types of things. That's the response, the legal responsibility of the executor over. That's even over the next of kin. Most of the time, it is next of kin as well. But um, the executor certainly has a formal role to play there. They then have to identify the assets of the deceased person to find out what's going to be what what will be included in the person's estate. Um, generally, they'll they'll instruct a lawyer like me to, to assist them with that process because it, it can be quite um, administratively difficult um, to, to follow that process. And then once we've identified the assets, uh, we generally apply for what's called probate. And I, I, I might explain probate separately, Tim, but probate process is, is goes through the court with the assistance of a lawyer in most cases. And then at the end of that, you then have got the responsibility for distributing the assets in accordance with the terms of the will. If you do the right thing and you've got a lawyer who assists you, you shouldn't have any difficulties. But, you know, if you start taking some money out of the estate to pay for your mortgage and, and do various other things, you can be held personally liable. So it is it is quite a big responsibility to do it. And it's an extremely important role. So, it's not, you know, appointing someone as your executor should be should be someone who you entrust, who you trust implicitly. A um, couple of things that come out of that for me, you know, things like insurance, you know, they're things that I'm sure someone that's not seeking the right legal um, representation or the right legal advice would certainly um, not be aware of. Absolutely. Yeah, insurance is a really big one. And the courts are very, um, they're not very forgiving for those types of things. So you, you, insurance is probably almost the one number one thing on the list. Probably the other, the other really significant risk is distributing the estate without dealing with the person's tax affairs. Um, that is a really big one as well. So if you if you just go ahead and distribute all the assets and don't bother looking into the person's tax affairs, the tax office will come after you. And the other thing that I wanted to get to there, Joe, is that um, I would have thought it's a pretty important thing that when you're selecting the executor of your will, that um, you'd at least have the um, discussion with that person to make sure that they were prepared to be the executor. Yeah, that's definitely something I'd recommend. Um, it it does happen that I that I contact people and say, by the way, you're the executor, and you know, at, at certain circumstances, some people are a bit shocked, um, a bit scared, and and various other things. But it, it definitely is worth having the conversation with the person in advance. Um, quite often, 
if they've got any questions, I, I certainly invite people who I, who I'm drafting wills for to to let the executor know that they can contact me and um, you know get a rundown of the role if if they have any questions. You know, it's probably okay to wait till the inevitable happens for for all of us at some stage. Someone is going to be at all of our executors if we've got a will in place. So. Um, and at that stage, certainly they can sit down with me and I'll explain the process and provide them with, with information. So, okay, we're in agreement, and I think, yeah, everyone would be in agreement that a will is the way to go. Um, it does get your final wishes um, fulfilled and carried out. But going back to one of my earlier questions, we talked about um, people contesting your will. Um, what can you do um, through your will to stop people contesting? Yeah, it's something that we deal with a lot. Um Probably there's a few different strategies that we put in place to to, to protect the assets in a will. Um, in South Australia, you can only contest assets that, are, that form part of the estate. So if the assets don't form part of your estate, then they can't be contested. So it's a pretty simple proposition. Um, in somewhere like New South Wales, for instance, they've actually got what's called a deemed estate, and they actually drag in all of the assets that are connected to you, whether you own them yourself or not. But fortunately in South Australia, if it doesn't form part of your estate, then it can't be challenged. So the, probably the key things that we do there is that we can put assets into joint names so that if one of the joint parties dies, it automatically goes to the survivor. Putting assets in family trusts or discretionary trusts, that once it's inside the trust, again, it's not in your personal capacity, so it doesn't form part of your estate. The trust will continue on even if you're gone. So that's probably the, the most common way to do it. And certainly in the ag sector, um, trusts are a very common structure for, for holding assets and for running businesses. And it has the, the massive advantage of making sure that those assets are protected for the farming children um, or whoever becomes the farmer. And it also removes it from the from the original person's estate and therefore protects it. Um, and then the, probably the third one, which is usually a good one as well, is superannuation. So superannuation can be passed directly from a super fund directly to a beneficiary um, without it having to go into the will. Um, so those three things, super funds, joint assets and trusts, those strategies can be used to protect the assets and to prevent someone from contesting them. Beautiful. And what's coming out loud and clear is that there's a lot of complexity on the table. So we've said it, reality is having a will, uh, you're better off, even if you don't think your estate will be worth very much. Um, but the other people in the equation are, are those that will survive us. Um, so after the break, Joe, let's talk about what you need to do when someone in your family dies and how you go about administering their deceased estate. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Are you planning a new machinery purchase in the next 24 months? Given current shortages, the advice from Ramsey Brothers is to start the process now. We know your machinery program is vital to the efficiency and productivity of your farm and making us part of your plan is a smart move. Our market knowledge will help you manage potential delays. So start the conversation with your Ramsey Brothers sales team today because in challenging times, our experience is your advantage. Ramsey Brothers, partnering farmers since 1950. Welcome back to Ramsey Radio. We're talking today with Joe Anderson from AgriLegal SA about the hows and whys of Wilson. Joe, we talked uh, before the break about how having a will will let you protect your estate and your final wishes for it. But now let's share some advice for the people who are left behind. When someone dies, how do you start dealing with their assets, their estate, and, and covering off things like we mentioned briefly before probate? Look, Tim, I think 
something that I'm always keen to get across to people is that there's no immediate rush. So someone's died, that the immediate rush is to actually deal with losing someone. So I know people get a bit panicked and think, oh, oh my goodness, I've, oh, I've got to start you know, immediately doing things. And that's not the case. I generally tell people, look, you know, it's only happened a few days ago, just have the funeral. Obviously, as I said before, the, the executors involved in organising the funeral, deal with that process for first, deal with, you know, the family and, and the grieving process and come and see me in a few weeks, even up to a month. You know, it really, it's very rare that anything has to be done uh, immediately. Sometimes it does, but most of the time, nothing needs to be dealt with immediately. I think the average time for an estate to be administered would, would be around about six months, really, from, from the time of death. So it's not it's not something that happens overnight. Once you do get in front of front of me or you do want to sit down and start starting the process, it's going through all of the papers of the deceased person and working out what assets that they hold. I mean, a, a perfect scenario is that the person has organised, they've got a spreadsheet where they've listed all their assets, their account numbers, their super fund member numbers, all of those reference numbers that um, we now need to use in this day and age. If they've got that sitting somewhere, then that makes everyone's life a lot easier. So I'd certainly encourage your listeners to, to, to get that in place and to let their family members know where that is. And just on that point, Joe, something as simple as exactly as you've talked about, I've got bank accounts with these people, superannuation with these people, life insurance policies here. Um, you know, that spreadsheet can save someone a lot of pain and angst potentially in one of their, um, dare I say, lowest periods where they're grieving for, you know, one of their loved ones that they've just lost. Absolutely. When, when people walk in with, with that spreadsheet, we're thousands of dollars in front because, you know, all of the things that I would have to go searching for or help them search for is already done. I mean, the other part that I should mention as is, is that is, you know, passwords. So email passwords, phone password, things that, that you need to access. I mean, phones now, it's becoming a big problem that, you can't unlock an iPhone. You can't approach Apple. They won't give you the details. The, the extreme example of that is is the, the information you need to redeem bitcoins, for instance. If you die with that information, you can't get your bitcoin ever. You know, there's a lot of that type of detail that becomes extremely important once you're administering an estate. So if you've got it written down, brilliant. If, if you haven't, if you're an executor and that, that doesn't exist, then, then you go through people's papers um, and you work usually with with such a I guess a heavy um, administrative world that we live in there's generally some sort of record somewhere about bank accounts about super funds about life insurance policies you know shares is another big one um, all of those types of things if you apply for probate you actually that's a court process all probate is is the ver- is the supreme court verifying that the will has been validly made. And there's a very there's rules contained in the Wills Act that says for a will to be valid, it has to it has to have these things and, and it has to be done in a certain way. So the Supreme Court says they look at the will and they go, yep, that's all been done. And then as part of that process, you as the executor say to the court, these are all the assets that I've found that this deceased person had. And then the court basically gives you the authority to go and deal with those assets. So then you can take that authority to the bank and say, I'm the executor, here's my authority, can you please transfer the funds out of his bank account? Uh, you can go to the land's titles office and say, you know, again, I'm the, I'm the executor, here's my authority, please transfer the land to me as the executor, and then I'm me as the executor, I'm going to go transfer it to the beneficiaries who are going to receive it. Um, so the, the probate process is, is quite complex. There's lots of rules. That's generally, some people try to do it themselves, 
it's very, very difficult in my experience. And a lot of people who have started off end up coming back to me and going, actually, can you do it? Once you've got probate, you've got your authority, you know what the assets are, you then transfer the assets to the beneficiaries. Or, you know, for instance, if you wanted to liquidate everything to turn everything into cash, you sell things, you sell shares, you sell a property, pay all the tax that's due from the estate as well as from the deceased person, and then you distribute the assets as, as directed in the will. Um, interesting point there, and it was one of the questions that I had, so I'll throw it straight back at you now. Understanding that every every will or, or, or every um, situation can be different, but uh, a generalised question, is there a tax bill? Yeah, it, it's, it's probably something that, that varies depending on what's happening in the estate, but there's no inheritance tax. Any property that passes through a will uh, is not subject to stamp duty and it's not subject to capital gains tax. So I sort of perhaps a bit flippantly sometimes say dying is a very good restructuring opportunity. Yeah, um, because you can fa- fa- fairly it. dramatic, but... You can move them around, um, and probably something that's not well known is that you can actually transfer assets in your in your will to a company or to a trust. So it doesn't have to go to an individual person. So it actually can be quite. I'm actually only half joking. It can be a very um, powerful opportunity to move assets that are subject to significant tax if you didn't if you tried to transfer them during your lifetime. You know, you can transfer it into a trust. You can transfer it to what's called a testamentary trust, which is a trust that's created under your will um, and has certain tax advantages. The, the estate itself becomes a legal entity. So if, if the estate itself does anything that would ordinarily be taxable, there is some tax payable, but there's no inheritance tax and there's no capital gains tax or stamp duty if it's transferred to a beneficiary. Absolutely. And you're making my job today super easy, Joe, because what you continue to do is highlight the fact that there is a lot of complexity and there's obviously a cost to administering an estate. Um, Any ballpark sort of figures, Joe? I mean, everything has to be judged on its own merit. Yeah. Generally, estates sort of fit into a few different category, broad categories. You you know, your simple mum and dad estate where, you know, they they were employees, for instance, so not small business owners, but they were just employees. They might own a house. Um, and have some savings in a car, they're fairly easy to deal with um, from a from an administrative perspective. There is a fee for probate, which is scaled in accordance with the value of the person's assets. It's around about $3,500 at the top rate and about $900 at the bottom rate for under $500,000 worth of assets. So there is a direct cost that goes to the, the court. If you've got a lawyer involved, it's generally sort of maybe two to $3,000 for your average estate because it is, it is quite a complex process. And Unfortunately, the probate process is the same no matter if you've got $10 that you need to deal with or you've got $10 million. It's, it's largely the same process. So there's, there's a base cost that's always going to be there with a the deceased estate. I'd say if you've got sort of a slightly more complex, so you might be a small business owner, you might have a share portfolio, something like that. So just a few things that, are, that need to be dealt with. You're probably looking at between five dollars and $10,000. Up, you know, and then above the ten thousand dollar mark to administer an estate is generally a very, you know, a very complex estate with, um, with multiple businesses potentially, you know, large share portfolios, um, uh, you know, multiple beneficiaries, for instance. So they're, they're the sort of the states that that can, you know, can get very complicated. And at the end of the day, I would imagine that the cost of administering the estate are going to come from the estate itself, Joe. And that's absolutely right, Tim. Yeah. So that there should be some comfort there and. And certainly, if the executor incurs any personal 
costs from administering the estate, they, they are reimbursed as a priority before anyone gets any money. Um, it's amazing how quickly this boils down to money a lot of the time. Just touching on, are there any special rules around superannuation and life insurance payouts? There is. Um, I mean, there's probably a whole nother um, podcast in itself. The uh, Taking life insurance first, so quite often people will have life insurance held within their super fund. If you have life insurance in your super fund, basically it just tops up your super fund. So if you own the life insurance policy and you've named a beneficiary, then the, then it'll go direct to that beneficiary. So again, that's a that's a method that we can use to make sure someone gets money and it doesn't go to the estate. And then if you own the policy yourself and you haven't named a beneficiary, then it does come into the will. Super is probably a whole other topic in itself in some ways, but every super fund has a trustee, whether you're in a retail fund or an industry fund or you've got a self-managed fund, there's a trustee that needs to make decisions about your super. That's then governed by a deed that says these are the rules of the super fund. So even, you know, Australian Super or Host Plus or whatever it is, they've all got a deed. And then in many cases, the super fund trustee actually decides who gets your super. Now, they will almost always pay it to a spouse if there's a spouse. Uh, or they'll pay it to kids if there's equally. The problems arise, Tim, is is when say you've you've separated from your wife or your or your husband and and they've or they've died or something like that, and you've repartnered. Within three years, that the new partner would be your spouse for legal purposes, and you may not want that person to receive your five hundred thousand dollars worth of of uh, superannuation. You may want that to go to your kids from your previous uh, relationship, and if you've got to be really careful that you don't leave it as a default option because the super fund will almost certainly pay it to that, that your spouse, even, even though they've only been on the scene for three or four years or five years or whatever it is. So in those circumstances, you need to put in place what's called a binding death benefit nomination. But then the rules around them are very complex. I'm sorry to keep using that word, but this is a complex area. Most super funds have a rule that those binding nominations lapse every three years. So you might have thought you've done the right thing, but then you die five years later and it actually reverts back to the discretion of the trustee again. So we do see some big issues with super uh, and it really is something that needs to be thought carefully about and you really need to get good advice in relation to super because it does hold such a significant amount of people's wealth these days. Absolutely. And I think uh, referring back to, uh, we mentioned it a couple of times, we will have a uh, we will have a podcast episode on superannuation. Um, Joe, need to acknowledge that having a death in your close circle of people or family can be devastating and stressful. What are your tips for people when they find themselves dealing with a deceased estate? Uh, I think the tips, the tips, I probably covered this a little bit in my answer previously, but the tips are to make sure that you're well informed. So get some advice, speak to a solicitor is is critical in my view. I don't always say that, but I think with deceased estates in particular, I think it's really important to get some advice to, to understand what your role is um, and the legal requirements that you're under as an executor. So, you know, you have to do everything by the book. You have to you have to prove to the court in some instances that you have done the right thing. Someone might claim that you haven't done the right, right thing and you may be before a judge having to explain yourself. So, I would say to, to treat it very seriously, to treat it as a formal process and to get good advice. What I said before that there's no rush. That's probably in the early stages, but you know, after a month or so, you really you've got a responsibility to the beneficiaries to get things done. So you can't bury your head in the sand. You, you do need to deal with it. Um, so if you don't feel up to it yourself, get family members around you, get solicitors involved get other people to help you 
because you've got a responsibility to the beneficiaries to get the estate administered in a timely way. Now, look, under a year, you're probably not going to get any criticism from the court or from, from anyone else. Um, but if it starts to drag on beyond 12 months from the date of death, um, potentially you could be criticised as, as an executor for not for not doing your job properly. So treat it seriously, get good advice and understand the importance of the role. Um, really, really interesting and topical uh, episode today, Joe. And as always, really appreciate you coming on. Mate, always a absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Look forward to uh, doing another episode soon around superannuation. Appreciate your time and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Tim. And thanks to you for listening to Ramsey Radio today. Be sure to look up all our other episodes on topics ranging from farm safety to our favourite soil amelioration. You'll find them all on your favourite podcast app under Ramsey Radio. I'm Tim Glover and I'll be back with another Ramsey Radio episode very, very soon. In the meantime, take care, stay safe and I'll catch you then. You've been listening to Ramsey Radio, brought to you by Ramsey Brothers. Find this and all our podcasts on your preferred podcast app or on our website at ramseybros.com.au. Thank you.